You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. I'm Veronica Daschle. I'm Elaine Swetman. And I'm Charles Kelso. And we're too busy monkeying around to put anybody down. Welcome back to Monkeying Round. We have some very special guests this week, but before we get to them, Chuck, what's happening in the world of the monkeys? Well, 7A Records, of course, has just <laughs> uh, announced their latest reissue. 7A Records is proud to present Davy Jones, The Bell Records Story, a lavish reissue of Davy Jones' self-titled album, remastered with six bonus tracks. Released on February 23rd, the CD version comes with a big 36-page color booklet, extensive liner notes from Monkeys historian Mark Kleiner, and rare, previously unseen pictures. The vinyl version comes in a gatefold sleeve and is pressed on 180 gram transparent green vinyl. This reissue gives fans the opportunity to reassess an album that was unfairly neglected by record buyers at the time of its initial release in the fall of 1971. And it's available for pre-order now. You can get it through a uh, deep discount in the US or amazon.co.uk over in the UK. And it's, of course, it's seven-day records, so it's going to be a lovely release. Yeah. And it yep. looks like you have to get both the CD and the vinyl because the vinyl doesn't come with the booklet. So you have to get both. Yeah. Yeah. I will. You should. Yeah. Also, the <laughs> vinyl doesn't play in my CD player in my car. So yeah. I got to get both anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've tried. It doesn't work. No. <laughs> also, um, some news about the Monkey Men. The Monkey Men, they have their website is live now. Mm -hmm. And they've got at least one date up for 2024. So I... I hope and expect that there will be more dates coming, but so far, what they've got listed is August 3rd, 2024, will be the Pacific Amphitheater at the Orange County Fair. Um, so that's in California. So yeah. some some news about the Monkey Man. I'm looking forward to uh, them getting some Georgia dates on there sometime yes. in the future. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know we're almost on the other side of the country, but... Yeah, Georgia would be make good. It. Yeah, you know, I, I would take Nashville. Yeah. I would take Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah. You know, at a pinch. Yeah. Florida, maybe. Florida? Yeah, we could do Florida. Yeah. 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 Uh so I mean fun stuff coming up already for 2024. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break to meet our fellow ESO Network podcast show and when we come back we'll be getting with our extra special guests. So stay right there. Helm report. Sir, there's Klingons on the starboard bow. Starboard bow? Starboard bow. What are they doing there? They seem to be waiting for the new episode of Earth Station Trek. Science, what do we know about this Earth Station Trek? It's a podcast that tracks through the history of Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Navigation, how would one find such a podcast? By setting coordinates for EarthStationTrek.com or by doing a sensor sweep of Spotify, iTunes, or any other quadrant where fine podcasts are available. Captain, what are we going to do about the Klingons? We come in peace, Commander. Weapon station, shoot to kill. Shoot, shoot to, to kill. kill! Shoot to kill! Welcome back to Monkeying Around. This week we have two guests. Um, we are joined again by Derek of Mixing Links and Cutout Bin. And also, Derek, you have a little uh, booklet out as well. Yes, the uh, headquarters mixography uh, booklet is still available online. And uh, mixinglinksbook.com, you can find a link to order that. And we are also joined by extra special guest Andrew Sandoval, whose many, many titles include writer, producer, DJ, author, among so many others, um, and most recently editor of the newest uh, Monkeys-related memorabilia, I'm Told I Had a Good Time, the Mickey Dolan's Archive, Volume 1. 
I am so excited to see more, but and there is so much in one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's such a thrill to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. And it's going to be a blast to get to talk to you all about these projects and whatever else you come up with. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we kind of um, do the first time we have someone on is, how did you get into the monkeys? Well, it's an oft-told story, but uh, I started watching the monkeys when I was about five, I think, uh, locally in Los Angeles on Channel 11, which was KTTV uh, here, and uh, the monkeys were being rebroadcast, and they they looked like the very brown sort of 16-millimeter things that circulated on VHS later. They, that's <laughs> my, my memory of the monkeys is very brown looking uh, from that period. And uh, I, I really liked their music, especially I was a big Beatles fan already at a young age. And I, I, I bugged my parents. I said, I really want these monkeys records. And I didn't know at the time that the only record that was in print by the monkeys was the monkeys greatest hits on air. So I didn't even know about that record. And they went out and my dad went out to look for records. He saw somebody try and trade in uh, some monkeys albums. And the person at the store said, we don't take those. They're not worth anything. And so he <laughs> followed the guy out to his car. He bought the record. So I had the first four or five monkeys albums growing up. I didn't know they had records beyond that until the 80s and the revival. And uh, like everybody else. Um, got reignited with my interest in the monkeys during the MTV uh, mm-hmm. period and decided to learn maybe a little bit too much about the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, there's a bit of a vacuum and that's that's how I got into the monkeys. I started seeing them perform in 86, like a lot of the other people around and um, and started to sort of just you know, taking it pretty seriously, I guess. And then uh, at the same time, I had grown up going to a record store called Rhino Records, and they were reissuing the the Monkees catalog mm-hmm. starting in the, in the in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time 86 rolled around with the big MTV revival, they were uh, poised to make a lot of money and sell a lot of records, a lot of Monkees records, uh, having uh, just been pretty much through most of the records when I got to the store to look for some of them, but I've been going to that store for, for, uh, since about 1978. Oh, wow. So I, and I, uh, became a store employee there around 1989. And, um, I'd met a lot of the other people who were involved in the monkeys records, like Harold Bronson and Gary Stewart. And then through another friend of mine, Dave Jenkins, I met Bill Inglot, who was doing the reissues. And I got involved in doing those with him in a very organic way it's not not like um it was you know it just it just sort of happened and yeah. wow i had a fanzine growing up uh you know um magazine that i made myself because i wanted to write about music and i interviewed davy jones um about 1988 that was the first monkeys interview i did uh with one of them and uh and then from there on i tried to interview a bunch of other people and i did Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get involved? Um, you, I mean, you mentioned it briefly, but how did you get involved with, you know, working on the reissues? Well, how that came about was, so uh, I was fascinated by um, Live in 67. I thought that was a great release, especially the CD and the, mm-hmm. and the missing links with the extra tracks on the CD. I was was interested in that. I mean, I didn't think... Like some of the, to be honest, some of the outtakes of Missing Links at first, I wasn't like, well, these are as good as the things that are on their albums. I was like, <laughs> there's there's some definitely some great stuff on here, mm-hmm. all your toys and whatnot. But it's like, wow, there's this whole big list in this book of all of these other songs. I, I'm interested in those. 
But I was really interested in reissues. I, I had uh, seen a, an article in a magazine called Trouser Press mm. uh, about a bo- uh, uh, album uh, on the Beatles, the Beatles Rarities, in the U.S. one. And they talked about how that record was put together and how they looked for tapes and all these other things. And that really piqued my curiosity in, in the 1980s. And I would, rather than do my schoolwork, I would bring uh, music books and other things to school. And was I was doing my research then. Didn't do very much for my grades. But <laughs> in, in high school, I was doing my fanzine and and studying music on my own uh, self, self-taught course. Yeah. Uh, so... I, I encountered Bill Inglot, and we had a lot of other common interests outside of the monkeys. And I said, well, I want to interview you and do a story about what you do in reissues. Because there had been a, an article in Rolling Stone, uh, a, a little thing in it. He was featured in there under the title, The Master of Remastering, Bill Inglot. <laughs> photo in there. And um, the photo was at a studio called Penguin. And so I, I bugged him. And one day it was my uh, one of my high school finals and I called him and I said, oh, you know, I, I want to do this, uh, you know, still want to do this interview. He goes, oh, did I say you could come today? OK, you can come today. <laughs> and, uh, so you come come on down. Uh, I'm working with Shel Tolmy, who's a producer of the Kinks and the Who and Easy Beats and all these other groups. I love. And I'm working on this Kinks record um, at K-Disc which is where they cut the monkeys reissues at the beginning. Um, and uh, you can meet me here and then we'll go to Penguin and I'm working on the monkeys uh, record there. So I didn't have a car or anything. Um, and I lived about, well, really 45 minutes to an hour away from K-Disc by bus mm. uh, on Sunset Boulevard, but way far away, like an hour away by bus. Cause you figure on yeah. Sunset Boulevard, they're stopping every place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I eventually got out there by bus. Um, I ditched my final. I made a life choice uh, that worked out okay. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, I feel like it so, worked out pretty good. Well, I, so I walked in and Shel Tommy was there uh, working on this Kinks record with Bill, which is interesting because now I work on the, the Kinks catalog mm-hmm. uh, and have for a long time. They're like my number two favorite group of all time. Um, so the session was wrapping up by the time I finally made it out there. I mean, I hustled to get out there as soon as I could, but I didn't have any other choice. There was no other way I could get out there. So I got out there. Uh, he said, okay, well, we're going to go to lunch. And then we'll go to, to penguin. And when we got to penguin. Um, he was working on uh, missing links volume two, and he had a bunch of tapes out multi-tracks uh, and also quarter inch tapes in my recollection. And he was trying to decide the missing links Two had, had a better pool of, material in my opinion because mm-hmm. it, it was more oriented towards the tv versions which i of course was lapping up i love them i you know like everybody else probably here i made my vhs copies and was wearing out the you just may be the one trying to yeah. get the, the good copy of it where it wasn't cut <laughs> off or anything anyway so uh so i asked him lots of questions and uh he asked me some questions back like well when is, you know when is this from and i had studied all these the same list that everybody else could could had access to. I didn't have access to anything unique. I, I guess I just had a very keen interest in it, and uh, and so um, you know it was it was amazing getting to hear stuff for the first time at literally at the studio and watch mixing process. I had been at home um, doing some amateur engineering myself. I had a porter studio. I was making demos and was fascinated by how things were mixed, and so. 
Um, that was a sideline. I was interested in recording engineering as well. Um, so I, st- I sat behind and didn't try not to talk too much. When he asked a question, I answered. Um, it, and then that was it, except for it was really tough to get home because I was out in Eagle Rock now, which I don't even know how by bus I would get back. I had no <laughs> concept of. So I, I asked him very nicely, is there anywhere you could drop me near Sunset Boulevard? Because I know how to get home from there. So he took me like a bit of the way back towards where I had been uh, K-Disc. And then I had this long bus ride back thinking about like, wow, well, that was a really magical experience. I wonder if like, uh, you know, that's that's seemed like something I'd like to do. You know, I'm definitely going to be writing about this in my magazine. Right. So I went back to school the next day and and um, it was my senior year of high school. And, you know, I'm just uh, I, I finished my final issue of the magazine, which had an interview I'd done with XTC. I, I cold called Andy Partridge at the recording studio. I knew they were making a record called Oranges and Lemons. And I told him, uh, you know, I've tried to get an interview with you. My voice was also, my voice is still pretty high, but my voice was even higher than <laughs> the publicists would, I would call publicists at the record labels. That's how you got interviews. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, before emails, you'd have to call them and, and they finally get on the phone with you and, I mean, in a way, it was good. You know, they, they were like, I'm sorry, miss, but they don't do interviews. <laughs> uh, Send us a sample of your work. So, But I managed to get the Davy Jones interview legitimately through publicist and, and XTC. I tried, but the publicist was on maternity leave. So I came to Andy with my sob story and said, listen, I tried legitimately to do this. I really want to interview you. I've got a magazine. He said, why don't you come down to the studio and uh, we're not too busy working, you know, when I'm not, you know, the other guys are doing overdubs and I'm not involved. Like we could sit and we went to like a, a broom closet and talked for like two hours. And so I had all these amazing interviews and things that were kind of coalescing into a, an article. And then what changed for me with Bill and why I didn't do the article on him was I had the Davy Jones interview, which did not go as well as all of these other magical experiences. Mm. And that was <laughs> When I finally got to, Davey had suggested that we meet on Catalina Island, which was a lot farther than any of these bus trips, could not be reached by bus. Uh, This is like you take a ferry off of the coast of uh, San Pedro and you you ferry out to Catalina Island as like a a resort destination, like a vacation destination. But it was a kind of a a rather very cold and gray day out and he mm. had gone out there and was in kind of a not great mood mm. because he brought an entourage of people and they were hoping for uh, a, a nice day and he you know on top of it he had promised to do this interview so um I, you know i got out there and uh, went to this restaurant sat outside with him and did the, did this first interview with him and uh got that done but what happened was Bill, I, I kept pestering him because I thought, hey, this is great. And we we're kind of building up a friendship, uh, uh, similar interests and in collecting and, and other music that we liked outside of the monkeys. And uh, and then he's like, hey, I got you a job to write the liner notes for this Missing Links uh, record because he had done the, the ones for the first volume. Mm. And I said, oh, this is fantastic. So this is my first ever professional writing job. And I got paid. $150. So, <laughs> so I thought it was amazing. And I was yeah. in, um, I was in community college at that point and studying piano and some other things. And then 
Uh, I was working at the record store, the Rhino Records, and I was like, I'm going to get a job at that label someday. But but in the meantime, I, I did the stuff. And then he he was sort of stymied. Like he he was actually working on a lot of records all besides, besides the monkeys. Uh, he had tons and tons of records and he was working for more than one label. He was, as you remember, doing Arista reissues of the monkeys, doing Rhino. He was doing stuff for Time Life. He was doing stuff for uh, Polygram, a lot of different labels. So um, he found an enthusiastic and very cheap laborer in me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I was in the right place at the right time to do a lot of a lot of stuff that no one else was around to do. And also conscientious enough, he also felt like it was a real plus. I knew how to type. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that, if somebody could type up his lists of things, so I, I could do that. Um, so so by the by the uh, towards the end of the summer of eighty nine, he was sort of uh, like, how do you think uh, he made me some cassettes of the rough things he was thinking about for missing links too? How do you think this goes together? And I said, oh well, I think it opens with this song and it closes with this. And I came up with a track sequence like that. I mean, not without uh, I wasn't asked for one, but that's always sort of been like my thing, I, at least in my mind. I mean, like I'm always thinking thematically of how mm -hmm. the flow of things and and that's kind of carried over into my other stuff I've done. But that was just a lucky thing where somebody said, OK, you know, nobody, <laughs> did, nobody yeah. rejected. It was like, oh, OK, I have a lot of other records to do. You do that. And then he graciously gave me the, the co-compilation and production credit because wow. I, I picked up the slack on it. So. Um, you know, so once I had that, I took that and showed showed that to everybody to get uh, other work. And uh, I was motivated. I didn't have um, I didn't have any other prospects in mm. life, uh, and I didn't have any parents to, uh, parental support. Uh, they liked music and stuff like that, but they I had was like kicked out of the house, and they said you gotta you know fend yeah. for yourself, like figure out the thing. And I so I just hustled and got work, and I would do all kinds of stuff. I worked at all kinds of different jobs uh, and put it all together to uh, to make ends meet and, you know, just kept doing it. And that's what I'm doing today. It worked out pretty well. Yeah. It was a long story. Now we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, jumping forward a little bit to today. I mean, now you've got Beatland Books mm -hmm. and I mean, just recently the reissued the Monkey's the Day by Day story. And now we're following it up with uh, the new Mickey book. I'm told I had a good time. The Mickey Dillon's Archives, Volume 1. How did you make – I mean, you've worked off and on with the monkeys over the years. But how did you make the jump to starting Beatland Books and re releasing these books yourself? Well, it was really a pandemic crisis moment for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I did the initial Monkeys Day-by-Day -day book through uh, Backbeat Books, there was – they had a U.S. Uh, publisher for it. They sold it off. I actually sold the book in my very first, like much very in a very serendipitous way, like these other stories I'm telling you. The first publisher I went to where I presented my book, a friend of a friend knew somebody in London. I was in London, I was a frequent visitor of London, and they said, "Come meet my friends at this publisher." And um, I showed them a sample chapter, which is mm -hmm. what you anybody aspiring to do a book. No one wants to hear your idea. Well, they'll want to see your one, what they call one sheet, meaning like, can you condense your ideas down to one sheet? And mm -hmm. then if they like that, they want to see a sample chapter. They don't want to see like, well, I'll get to that. They they want to see that you could actually do it. So right. I had the the one, the, the, uh, the sample chapter, and there was two partners in Backbeat, and I sold the book in the first meeting 
um, they gave me a contract. So the heat was on for me to finish this book. And, um, it, you know, I was happy with it to an extent that the, all that information got out there because I've been working on it for like 15 years on my odd days off, uh, going to the library and doing all these other bits and pieces. Uh, and uh, But like any writer or researcher, the work is never done. You're always finding out some new tidbit. And um, I grew to be like, oh, I got to redo the book. And finally, I was in Australia with Mike and Mickey on the Mike and Mickey tour. And I was like, now's the time I've decided when I get back, I'm going to do the revision of this book. And then the pandemic hit and we were uh, not working mm. at all. Yeah. And, and, and um, I had in my mind to do a really deluxe version of the book. And that was the thing with Backbeat was that, uh, well, Thunder Bay, uh, the way I got the rights back, Thunder Bay their U.S. imprint who had put out the book. And a lot of you maybe maybe picked up my book at the dollar store or somewhere where it had been remaindered at the time was because it was shut down by the FBI for accounting fraud. Oh. That was <laughs> so I bought back I bought back a, a big quantity of the books and the rights uh back to the book. So mm. uh so so I had those for a number of years and that's how I ended up with the stuff. But I it was a pandemic uh, roll of the dice where um, I was walking on the beach with my girlfriend and I, and I was like, I, I, I got to do something. She's, you know, it was one of those literally like, well, Andrew, you know, you could put all your stuff in storage and you know, come, come live with me type of things, which is a very, very nice offer. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you know, I think the one shot I got is if I put it all into this monkey's book and do something that's so crazy that you know, it's it can't be really um, duplicated anywhere. You right. know, so yeah. that's that's yeah. how it came up. But also, I thought like there is room for there. There are these high end book companies. There, mm -hmm. there are the, the ones you know about, like Tashin, that you see everywhere, and uh, Chronicle, and those U.S. ones. And then there's like this one in England called Genesis, and they do these really specialized books with autographs, and they're numbered, and they cost a lot of money, a mm -hmm. lot of money. Um, and they're beautifully done. They're really right. beautifully crafted. Uh, I had a friend, Brian Kehu, who did a book on recording the Beatles. That was his first book. And then he's subsequently done uh, a book, a photo book called Kaleidoscope Eyes and, um, and, and several other books. And he had high quality art printing um, overseas. And that's I used that as a resource. And um, I just decided, you know, there is room for somebody doing the kinds of weird topics that I'm into, like monkeys, Genesis would never do the monkeys. I'm not taking away anything from them, right. you know, yeah. uh, and they, and they probably wouldn't do a book of Mickey's photographs and memorabilia <laughs> either. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. So I, so it's now my sort of goal is to do these interesting things that I know that there's a small audience for uh, mm -hmm. and a dedicated audience and do it up really right rather than, you know, most other people like they'll say, like, I want to book the cost $10 or $15 or $20 maximum. And it's got to be only this many pages and we'll just do print on demand or we'll just do whatever. And I, I feel like the stuff deserves more than that. Mm. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of where my where my head's been at. And uh, it paid off the um, right before the the pandemic hit, I, I hit this gold mine of new information about the monkeys, uh, all these Don Kirshner court documents that served as basis of a 
not just a revision, but a complete rewrite of the book. And um, now I'm in the midst of editing a book that is written by a friend of mine, Doug Hinman, and it's a day-by-day book on the kinks, which had also been published by Backbeat. And um, that's looking to be very long. (laughs) 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 He's got mounds of great new information, and uh, we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of the release of You Really Got Me, and we're racing to try and get get it together so we can put out a kinks book and a really beautiful one too. So awesome. That's amazing. Is that, is the kinks book going to be time, time constrained to a certain period or is, is this going to be like a, a full history? It's a full history. As far as we know, as of today, uh, going <laughs> from, from their birth through to their, uh, and their breakup in 1996, okay. which is a, a big long span of time. Yeah. Uh, Doug, mm-hmm. um, if you have his original Kinks book, Doug has got a lot more information as far as both gigs and also recording dates. Um, in particular, like Shell Tommy, all of his archive of he had he had receipts for all of the sessions he paid for because he paid for the Kinks <laughs> sessions up through 1967. And so where we didn't have dates before, you know, it, it's not just like guesswork. Well, between this time and this time it's not like the monkeys where there's union documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very different thing, but uh, he's, he's got a great deal of stuff. And, uh, and also me having worked on the reissues, I've got some background on some other bits and pieces, but the Kings are m- much bigger mystery than the monkeys, the monkeys, mm-hmm. the thing about telling the monkey story and even Mickey's story in his book is that there's so much information that you have to start to be like, how much time is there in the day to gather in all the information? <laughs> I hurt my shoulder by clicking, look, <laughs> looking at stuff. Uh, they're, they're, that's why people always like a, a, a 700 page book on the monkeys. Who cares? We do. Uh, you know, well, that's, it's all out. The stuff is out there and it's interesting if you want to start digging. And, uh, and for a lot of other artists there, there is plenty of um, plenty of, of, of uh, coverage. Uh, but it's different. Uh, but the monkeys are are a phenomena onto themselves, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful to the monkeys fans for supporting my uh, craziness in getting <laughs> out to them. So, yeah, we have the super deluxe edition of both of the books, and they're so nice. Like we we feel like we had, like we were looking at it again tonight, and so we like put a, a towel on the table <laughs> just to set, like, because you don't want to set it on something by mistake. But even the the Mickey Dolan's archives. I mean, it's it's largely photos, but there's a lot to read in it. Is I mean, it, it takes time. I we I mean, we probably barely scratched the surface on it so far. But I mean, not just photographs, but like birth certificate and contracts and letters and grades. Yeah, right. And report cards. <laughs> it was hilarious looking at some of Mickey's uh, the comments from Mickey's teachers, and I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. That makes so much sense. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you get a different sense of who Mickey is as a person from the book and a much fuller picture of him, too. I Again, you know, I, I live in a world mostly of people who are not huge Monkeys fans or not, you know, converts to this this phenomena. And so I, I gave up trying to convert them long ago. I don't feel like I'm the proselytizer. I'm just mm-hmm. like, here's all this stuff. And they're and they the people who have looked through Mickey's book, they're like. They're really surprised. You can't see my my shock on the radio. You can't hear that. <laughs> that was making a shocked face. They are surprised at the um, at at the content and also uh, his zealot like uh, presence at so many pivotal pivotal not pivotal 
Pivotal. Uh, pivotable could be a, a Michael Nesmith word that he invented. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. In the dictionary. But pivotal um, moments. Uh, certainly, you know, I've been fascinated by how the Beatles invited them into their homes, literally, mm-hmm. at the height of success and seemingly were just kind of fans like us in, in a way, like, Kind of fascinating. These guys are pretty interesting. Let's have them over. Yeah, Let's right. see what they're all about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the uh, uh, Mickey going to the Nixon inaugural and then being ushered out is a great, a great thing in the book. And the, you know, his seventies stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've got, you know, towards the end where you get to where he's uh, he goes, he's just tagging along with Harry Nilsson on a lot of stuff. He goes <laughs> to the midnight special, which they're Hopefully we'll see the, this eventually because Midnight Special, they're re-showing them all or you get to see them all complete now on YouTube, which is oh. a great thing. Every week there's a new episode. But Harry Nilsson went on and his his attorney, Bruce Graykel, who's still Mickey's attorney and still Ringo Starr's attorney, <laughs> he said to Bruce, he goes, these guys don't even know who I am. You know, he Harry always had a chip on his shoulder. Like, people don't even know who I am. And I bet you if you went up there, Bruce, they wouldn't know that it wasn't me. I'll just pretend like I'm your attorney. And so Mickey went and took photos and and until the last moment, Bruce was on stage being interviewed and everything (laughs) finally, um, finally gave up the thing. But yeah, these are these weird stories that um, even after knowing the monkeys and knowing Mickey for decades. Hmm. So I want to get to the other story, the other set of stories, because there's a lot that I didn't know. The, The Mickey book is not. Is is not heavy on text. It's heavy on photos, mm-hmm. and as I told Mickey a lot, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So let's let's let the pictures do the talking. But I tried to get him to tell stories, and certainly I tried to feature stories that aren't already out there in in bulk. Right. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, not just to make the book different, but because I feel like he's he. Th- there's much more to him than people know. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and I hope you I hope people get that from the book. Absolutely. And in a lot of the interviews he does, he gets the same questions and he yeah. has his sort of stock answers. You know, sometimes I'll go through on like SoundCloud or something and listen to just a bunch of Mickey Dolan's interviews in a row. And it's interesting to see how <laughs> the what, what they get different out of him and what when someone <laughs> actually asks a different question. So it's good to, to probe him and, you know, get him to to talk about a little bit of different things and ask him some questions that he doesn't usually get asked on, you know, like the Today Show or something like that. Yeah, that's and that's definitely his comfort zone. I think coming from his background uh, in show business, having been really in the spotlight since he was about what seven or eight years right. old, mm-hmm. you know, he learned to have a have a practice patter, and he doesn't see it the way we do, like where we, where we've listened to hundreds of interviews of him, or maybe even thousands of interviews, <laughs> where we're hearing the same thing. He's thinking like this is the first time some people have ever heard me or, right. or heard yeah. me, and they're getting this information for the first time. Whereas mm-hmm. we're like. Hey, tell us something else. But, right. uh, <laughs> but there are other there are other stories, and so and I try to get as many. We we talked for about twenty five hours for this new wow. book. It's all new new interviews, and not just uh, replundering my my archive of stuff. <laughs> the funniest thing I can tell you uh, that I came across in doing this, which is not in the book, so this is exclusive to you guys. Mm-hmm. Never told this. Is that I was there was some tape special of a monkeys like um, something done for radio I think in the UK for a compilation maybe in the late seventies and I got a dub of this tape and his interviews with Davey and Mickey are kind of interesting but you know how Mickey always compares 
it's either the monkeys are like Glee or the monkeys are like Star Trek or the mm-hmm. monkeys. But this one, he's like, yeah, it's like Starsky and Hutch, you know? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, <laughs> rarity. I haven't heard, you know, so it also dates it, you know, it also, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. late seventies. Okay. Different reference points. Awesome. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, you mentioned these, you did these 25 hours of interviews. Was that recorded? Yeah, it's all recorded. And uh, the other thing about the interview psychologically was what I didn't want to do because he is so mannered in the way he uh, puts together stories and he really works at crafting stories. So they, you know, so they have a flow, just mm-hmm. like you've seen in the monkey celebration uh, shows where it kind of, he, he has a very nicely crafted thing that he, he works on. He, you know, he's a craftsman. Mm-hmm. He loves to make make uh, make wood mm-hmm. stuff in his garage, yeah. and he also he also you know he re, he re, he doesn't use a teleprompter. He remembers all the song lyrics mm-hmm. for the most part. He you know he and these stories the same thing. So he's working on them, memorizing them, reciting them to himself. He's he's getting, but I didn't want that. <laughs> so <laughs> what I did was I I made him a promise. I said, okay, well, it's your book. You are even though I'm the editor, you're the overall editor. Anything you don't want in the book isn't going in the book. And I took out stuff out of the book. Nothing terrible, but anything he wasn't comfortable with, we just took it out because there were literally 1,200 images in the book. So there was mm. plenty. Oh, yeah. Beyond. Yeah. Right. Um, but I said, so i am got my phone. I'm going to put down my phone. And the first time you see any of these photos, we'll have the recorder on. I'm going to document your reaction to these photos. First time seeing them. Sometimes never having seen them because they're from negatives. Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. not having seen them in... 40, 50 plus 60 years in some cases. And so I got all the first reactions out of him rather than, oh yeah, okay, so here's this crafted story. And he he had initially said, oh, well, maybe I'll write down some stories. And I said, okay, if you want to do that. But we didn't end up going that way. We we Mm. went with this. And um, it's um, for all of us who have put in the time, who've served the time listening to all these interviews and things with him, this is a, it's, it's a different, it's another side of it. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Has there been any talk, talk or thought about um, releasing any of those recordings? I know similar to what Paul McCartney, they've turned his interviews for the lyrics into a podcast. Yeah, well, initially what Mickey wanted to do was he wanted, he's fascinated by QR codes and he wanted the book to be filled with QR codes so that you could scan <laughs> the QR codes in the book and you'd hear amazing. his story. <laughs> like and an exhibition. It's a very Mickey Dolan's idea and yeah. it was hard to <laughs> Hard to say no to until I sort of say, well, look, you know, it's like a high end art book and we don't know the technology of how long that will last. I mean, you know, people are still yeah. coming to me. Hey, do you have the URL to get those download only headquarters tracks from <laughs> three years ago? Like, I, I don't even have them anymore. I, I don't know. You know I, maybe. No. You know, but that's that's thinking ahead for for. um Posterity. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, well, the book would be much cleaner without a bunch of QR codes in it. Mm. Yeah, and, I can see that. Um, so, so, but it's a brilliant idea. But you know, it, and, it, and it's very Mickey, like the cover of the Donald Jones Voice and Heart. But you know, mm-hmm. the, by computer uh, <laughs> that looks like a spirograph or whatever. You know, what right. I mean, how we look at it is like, oh, that looks like a spirograph. But it's like, yeah. no, at the time that was very cutting edge. You know, yeah. so that's. You you want to try and have something be a little bit more evergreen always, and mm. uh, so so we and we didn't record them like very well. Right, they're recorded; mm. they sound fine, but they weren't recorded for any commercial purposes. Right. Certainly, so um, I would say that that's probably a a no. But um, but there's definitely a lot of interesting 
uh, stuff in the book. And maybe, you know, maybe it'll spin off into something else. Okay. Uh, Derek, you have a copy of the book as well, right? Yes, I have it right next to me, actually. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself picking that up. Because <laughs> I was looking at it. Yeah, I was like, that's great. It's like radio. Hey, you know what right. I'll just, you just, you have to, you'll have to take my word for it that I'm holding the large book. <laughs> Is there something in there that jumped out at you that was particularly um, interesting? I, as I was looking through it, I was just like, I, I think um, anyone who has any interest in uh, the 67 monkeys tours with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, I was just blown away how many photographs mm. taken of, of, uh, Jimi Hendrix on the road with them. And, and just the, the guys all together in the monkeys as well. There's just a lot of great photographs. It's just, it just kind of surprised me how many there were, but I mean, maybe that's, a. uh, I, I, I was going to say a commercial decision, but I mean, you know, it, it might be just Mickey's thing too, that like, Hey, you know, there's, that's something that he really has a great connection with and really wanted to include a lot of those photographs. Um, but that was, that was one thing that stuck out to me, but like lots of full, I mean, it's a 12 by 12 book and it's like lots of full page photographs. Um, and, fold and outs. like fold outs. Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 it, it just spoke to me as someone who likes, um, products that cobbled it. You know, there are some collage items like the, the, the inner leaves inside the front cover and everything. And the, and the box that it comes in uh, have just kind of a montage of a lot of things kind of put together. That always speaks to me as like, and, and the fact that it includes like uh, reproductions of like artifacts, like uh, letters and checks. And like you talk about report cards and um, that, that stuff just appeals to me in general. Like uh, that, that you can get a book with stuff like that in it. It's just fascinating and fun. Mm. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough to picture, to, to do the call of photos. I mean, we kept calling down uh, the photos and specifically we, we focus on the 67 because he just gone crazy with buying film. I mean, there, there were lots of roles of, of completely blank film that he had, <laughs> he had shot, nothing come had come out. On uh, mm. I mean, so uh, it was it was it was really a you know each box that was uncovered and it was all random. It wasn't like oh well, here's the box of all this stuff from 1967. It's like, yeah, no, the stuff was no, just, I just toss stuff in there. Yeah, tossed, <laughs> like from every different era, you wouldn't you wouldn't know what you were going to get, mm. uh, and um, so it took whole process from beginning to end to get it to into your hands is about a three-year process so mm -hmm. working working on books i would not say is a is an easy money quick money uh <laughs> thing. Uh, don't believe those commercials you see about self-publishing you, know. you gotta do it because you want to do it you gotta do it because you want to yeah. Yeah. yeah i remember the first time um i remembered hearing about um the monk uh this book um the mickey dolan's i'm told i had a good time was on the beach boys cruise um, that was probably almost three years ago yep. now. Um, and, and I was reading, rereading the cover uh, little intro that you had. And I was like, man, that's almost exactly what he said on the cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a lot from Mickey. To <laughs> hey, if something works, just stick yeah, with it. Absolutely. The, the photos were incredibly crisp and clear in the book. Yeah. Was there a lot of restoration work that had to go into those? Yes. There was. And uh, specifically, there was a lot to do with finding negatives versus like, so Mickey had a book out, um, which I have behind me somewhere. Uh, of the, It's a little booklet, uh, sort of his, was his 1967 Secret Snaps or whatever. Mm. Do, you, do you all know that book? Right. Um, anyway, 
it's a book he had, he had published and they had done those off of prints that he had. And he had a mm-hmm. variety of, of these little square prints, the 126 prints from the 1967 tour. And some of those are faded and some of those basically I found the negatives of from the stuff for the book and those are kind of duped off. But what I found was, you know, a couple generations earlier than that, as far as the photos, I mean, they're all unlabeled things. I start realizing, hey, these are all the actual negatives for those, but they're all unscannable because they're this odd format that doesn't mm. fit in any of the scanner formats. And they also have more of the image than it. They're, it's all matted out. Remember like the old days of Instagram where you could have the white border around mm. your photos? <laughs> mm-hmm. All of them are printed like that originally, and then they fade or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But I found the, the negatives that had the uh, extra bits. So so that was great. Awesome. And then also he had traded away or given away to friends or or even like the stuff that was in 16 magazine published a bunch of his photos um, in black mm. and white. Um, he didn't have prints of those. Mm. But I found towards the end of working on the book, I found an envelope, a regular you know envelope, a uh, letter envelope and stashed in there was cut out the all the negatives for the things that are in 16. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I hadn't, cool. seen those. hadn't seen those yet and i did you know so um yeah that that they but we did have three different uh restorers working on it it was because 1200 images we had to have just in order to get it done in time mm-hmm. uh, we had mm-hmm. to have a, a whole team of people working on uh the images and gary strobel who's a great friend of mine did a lot of the scanning i did a lot of scanning uh just here uh, with the scanner and uh, and you know we we kind of tag teamed all this different stuff and compared who's got the better scan of this or that and uh, you know the same materials but just like different results. Uh, but my my biggest fear was I didn't want the stuff it was Mickey's stuff and he had been very um, cautious about letting any of it out. He didn't want it to get out, uh, mm-hmm. especially before the book. So uh, you know that was a success. Nothing got out, but um, you still see. That's the that's the only bummer thing I always ever ever think about when I look online. People are, you know, they're excited. They're taking photos from the book and they're they're posting, mm-hmm. but they never say, "Oh, this is a great photo taken by Mickey Dolenz." I, I don't even need a plug for the book, but it's like, hey, give a plug to Mickey Dolenz. He <laughs> shot those photos. Like, <laughs> what you just discovered those photos that Mickey Dolenz shot. I mean, I'm glad you bought the book and I'm glad you're publicizing it. I don't need the, the I don't I don't need the credit, but give Mickey the credit. You know. Well, I'd say, isn't this cool that Mickey shot this photo of whatever? Right. You know, um, in, and online. Kept it. But, yeah, well, but people like to to do the thing where they pretend like, oh no, I originated that. I the, <laughs> we had there was something at YouTube where they shot off the screen at the monkey celebration, cut out Mickey entirely and just shot the screen. And they're like, Yeah, here's my videos of these home movies. And it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> But they're really Mickey's home movies. At least, you know, come on. You yeah. can just say it. And it's like, you you know, you didn't invent them. Come on. And, and Mickey <laughs> was taking all these photos and, and films back when it was difficult to do. Yeah. Now we all have yeah. our cell phone in our pocket. I've got a million photos of things that I ate. But, you know, <laughs> back then when it was actually film and you had to focus the camera and, you know, get the film developed and, it, and store the negatives for 70 years <laughs> so that mm-hmm. it could be archived, you know? Yeah, he he wasn't much on the storage part. I mean, right. they weren't stored <laughs> specifically. Um, not telling tales out of school or anything. They're just you know, it is a miracle that they that everything got saved because he he did lose things over the years, mm. or so I'm told. Uh, at, but it was his hobby, definitely to document things. 
but in a very uh, haphazard way. And he got better as a photographer too. I mean, the 126s are all point and shoot. So for mm -hmm. the most part, you know, he had a pretty good shot of those other than the stuff of the flash cubes, which were disposal mm. bolt uh, and, and trying to have enough of those. But, um, you know, he got into 35 millimeter, but he didn't even remember like the earliest 35 millimeter stuff that's in the book uh, shot on the set of the monkeys. Cause I said, yeah, you had another camera before you had the Nikon, you had this Honeywell camera. He's like, no, I go, okay, well, here's a picture of you in the mirror taking, because he likes to take photos of himself. Yeah. And there I can see, that's why I don't know anything about the Honeywell camera other than here it is. You with you were it. wearing it. Yeah. You were to take a picture with it. Yeah, he, Mickey was also mystified by his Mustang, the 64-65 Mustang, the green one that you see, which he, yeah. very vivid memory of that's the first place he heard last year in Clarksville sitting with Davey in the car the first time they heard it mm -hmm. together on the radio and all this stuff. But he's like, Oh, I must have bought that with my monkey's money. I'm like, no, you had it earlier. Because look, here, here's your pictures of you, you know. Baby. <laughs> well, how, how did that happen? Well, <laughs> I think you turned 21. How did I afford a car then? <laughs> yeah, I think you turned 21 and, and got your circus boy money. And I, I don't know. So <laughs> it was interesting because um, like before the book, there was only the one photo of Mickey and the one-nighters, that one mm -hmm. really messed up Polaroid Right, I've been mm -hmm. out there, and I was like, "Oh, I got, I found color photos. I found all kinds of photos." Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's it's been great. It's been great um, uh, for an adventurer like me. It's been a really, really good time uh, looking through that stuff and, and finding stuff to share with people, and, and thankfully uh, get to share a lot of it because it's an over the top project mm -hmm. with yeah. five hundred pages, over twelve hundred images. Primarily of the monkeys, in case anybody's like, yeah. well, I'm not that big a Mickey fan, more of Mike, Davey guy, Davey, Peter, whatever. There's more images of those guys than, than you might imagine. He shot the other monkeys and he loved shooting the other monkeys. He did great photos of them. Each one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a real standout Mike on the set of 33 and a third in his nudie suit. Like mm. those are just beautiful. And Peter, double exposure, once a Peter. And then. Some I just beautiful because he spent more time with Davy, especially in the seventies. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff mm -hmm. into the seventies with Davy, and uh, really cool. It was a great, great thing. I, I learned a lot, and that's always kind of uh, the goal, more so than anything else. Is I want to learn, you know, too. So, uh, so I learned, and it was fun. That's awesome. Was there a picture or a story that Mickey told you that really surprised you during this whole process? That you were like, oh. Like you had no idea and it just really took you by surprise with the, anything like that? Yeah, there there were several. And I'm trying to pinpoint them in my mind right now to have an easy recall. on <laughs> it's, it's hard, but, but there were quite a few uh, complete mystery things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he would say and then explain to me. And that's that's really the brilliant thing about um, having him. Uh, having access to his stuff and then having him too mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. him being so generous uh, with it as well. Um, because there are lots of things these days where I get asked questions and I used to love calling Peter Torp because Peter and I had a really nice relationship and I call him and he had such great recall and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's blah, 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 blah. And there was only like two <laughs> or three times where I ever was like, no, I don't think that that's, you know, that doesn't quite go with whatever. But for the most part, Peter would have incredible recall like that. And I I miss getting to talk to Peter, hmm. um, you know, and I obviously miss David and Michael a lot, too. Um, I was looking at some videos earlier today. It was like five years ago. I was 
working with Michael on the hits keep on coming tour. And uh, we were in Seattle getting ready for that. And he was, you know, relearning the candidate and all these other mm-hmm. obscure songs. Um, funny story. Uh, the opening night of that tour, which was in Seattle, uh, he had, you know, just telling, he would take it to taking to telling some very long and rambling stories. Yes. As uh, <laughs> many of us know. Um, but he was up on stage and, and they were going through quite a bit of the material. And then um, at a certain point, Pete, the, the pedestal player left the stage and Michael was kind of thrown off. He said, I guess I'm leaving too. And I, like, I was at the, the, the mixing desk and I ran from the mixing desk around to the side of the stage. And I was, and I was like caught the two of them and go, you guys have to get on stage right now. You are not done. <laughs> He was like, well, it felt like we were up there forever. I'm like, yeah, okay. So you have to at least go back and do these songs. You have to at least do propinquity. You have to like, here's these, these are the songs you have to do before we leave tonight. And they went back out and they did the songs and stuff like that. But that's not what you asked. That's not the story you asked for, but I was thinking about that today. Um, that's hilarious. There were, there were a lot of, a lot of times where, um, things didn't quite make sense to me, but, uh, Mickey, um, you know, he's a lot more humble and, and, and his approach to things is a lot more humble in a way mm. that was sort of let on because of his showbiz background. Mm. Everybody would think of like Peter and David as the sort of the very humble down to earth guys, but, but Mickey, you know, like even like Mickey's birthday party, uh, when he's like 16 or something, it's in the book and he's, yeah, my dad, you know. Uh, I didn't know they were going to have the surprise party. My dad wanted me to, like, why do I have to put on nice pants? I'm just going to Bob's Big Boy for a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't know that they were going to take, he's going to take a film of them and these photos are in the book and all this stuff. But but that's, yeah. those are the kinds of things um, that, you know, these ba- great, great little side stories. And, mm-hmm. um, and um, but I got a lot of phone calls. Hey, did you find such and such? Did you find, you know? And oh yeah, yeah, I found that. I didn't know what that was. Oh yeah, yeah. So one of the things was um I think I found all these photos that are not in the book of uh members of the Manson family. Oh boy. And I just didn't know. Mickey also collected stuff, like he was a big James yeah. Bond fan. Mm. He loved oh yeah, well, I was into James Bond before anybody, and I was like <laughs> down on the streets like like with like a little like toy gun and then like my friends and I, and then we got in trouble. Like there's all these other <laughs> things that aren't in the book like that. You know, but I was like, why do you have like all these James Bond lobby cards? Oh, I'm a huge James Bond fan. Like, well, why do you have, cause he'd have also like stock photography of like the moon landing and other things. So I have to be careful of figuring out what was Mickey's stuff and what right. was just <laughs> collection. Like, yeah. Went back, back here and found some stuff. It's not necessarily mine. It belongs to me, but it's right. not, shouldn't be in my life story book. So, so that right. was stuff. Yeah. So Mickey did not land on the moon is what you're saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Not yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, um, in the introduction of the book, you mentioned that, um, the project started when Mickey like brought you over and said, I've got all these films that I need to be transferred. And you were like, you're like, what is all that other stuff? And he's like, you have to wait. You have, we have to do these <laughs> films. Um, so the films we we did see some of them on the tours. Um, had he, I'm assuming he probably just thought that he wanted to have them transferred in a like everyone who takes a film to a 
to a place to get it. It's like, I can't play this eight millimeter film. I need it on a tape or, or a disc or something. I'm assuming he just wanted to have it, but um, had you guys had any discussions about doing anything with those or releasing them in any format, or maybe even of making a multimedia version where the book included a DVD? Yeah, definitely. That was, that was the, that was the plan at the outset was that in these different editions, super deluxe edition, deluxe edition, and the regular edition, there would be, a version with a record because there's all these home demos, amazing home recordings of him that no one's heard. Yeah. Uh, and also films. And how do we deal with that? But the production delays of like pressing a vinyl mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, then how do we service the DVDs to people? Same with the QR codes. Like, well, a lot of mm -hmm. people are like, well, I don't have a working DVD player anymore. I don't have a working Blu-ray player. Well, they're only $50. <laughs> like no, no 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 you know so it it turned into like well the book should just be the book and we should get it out while we can because uh you know it, you know if we if we delay and delay and delay for it to be the optimum it may end up not coming out at all right so yeah. we, had, we had a concept about doing the dvd uh sort of version of the footage and the main concern really um is that the second it's out, it's it's going to be on YouTube, and yeah. people are are going to say, "Oh, look at yeah. this wonderful home movie footage that I found." You know, it's like <laughs> it's not yeah. going to be from Mickey's stuff. And then if you brand it as Mickey's on YouTube, that you know, there's that sort of level of things, and it has to be watermarked. And also, most of the footage is silent, mm -hmm. so um, therefore you have like how commercial is that? So we talked about, well, maybe you can do narration, maybe we can do have you do music under it. You know, so we did go a pretty far way down that that uh, path, but um, I, I wouldn't say it's a dead path. Um, but um, you know, not a path you're currently on. <laughs> not not today. Not mm. today. I'm just monkeying around today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you found a great use for um, or some, you if you had the idea or whoever had the idea to to use some of that material as a music video yes. for his uh, uh, Dolan sings REM. Uh, that was fantastic. That yes. was a great use of that footage. Yeah, that was uh, that came. He was autographing the books uh, because the way the autographs are done in the books, they're all him. He signed all of them. I took a video of him doing because a lot of uh, artists and stars now are doing like these uh, uh, auto pen things where they're not signing stuff. But I can tell you, Mickey uh -huh. signed every one of these and he did them in two days. And while he was signing the books, he said, oh, yeah, you know, I got this REM record coming out. And they made this video for it. And I don't think it's like, I don't know, you should maybe we look at it because I don't know if it's that good. And, um, you know, and and uh, and so what it had been done was it had been created by AI, the this video, initial video they'd done of it. And it, it was it was weird mm. because yeah. if you if you've asked AI to do anything for you, um, it's interesting because it comes back with stuff sort of like what you want, right? Uh, but it's not exactly what you want. So that's that's. I'll leave it at that as my summation yep. of what the video is. You know, so they fed in the lyrics, I believe, to some sort of uh, you know AI module, and it came back with some weird mutated, you know, <laughs> imagery to go with it. Uh, which, <laughs> yeah. Some of it fit, but um, I said to Mickey, "Oh, I I could do something for you with uh, the home movie footage," and uh, he's like, "Well." You know, it's just me on the, he's very practical. It's just me and Coco on the records. None of the monkeys that can't be in it. And um, do you really think there's anything like you could do? And I said, yeah, well, so I just like um, 
just kind of like tonight, which it's it's about six in the evening here in Los Angeles, and I had gone and had my dinner, and I eat dinner early, and and uh, came back to this room, and I was like, let's see if I can make a Mickey Dillon's video. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, you know, and it, and it, it worked pretty well because, um, I've been working on doing the videos, the backdrops for them now for a number of years. Um, and I've sort of learned, you know, you try and time it right. So there's action at the various beats and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So I picked up stuff along the way doing it and, um, it came together. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I listened to the song and, and, you know, I was like, Oh, I'll put this here. And, you know, there was a lot of serendipity like anything else. I can't, I can't say that I'm the, the cleverest person in the world. They I just it's just some good luck. And then uh, Mickey liked it right away. And then he asked for a few changes and I did those and we got it refined. And then it came out and it had a much more powerful uh, response than I had ever anticipated. And I think had I thought about it, I wouldn't have come up with something as um, uh, th- I wouldn't have come up with the same thing because I would have probably second guessed the imagery mm. and the message, but I just mm-hmm. thought, well, these are really nice. And, and I was in this mode having done the book. Uh, uh, and also I did all the screenshots all those little frame captures. Mm-hmm. I did all those myself um, for the book. Cause I thought, well, I have this John Lennon, uh, John and Yoko book that I like that has like images from the, uh, from some of their experimental films. And you get, you get a sense of what's in the film at least, mm-hmm. even if you can. Right. So that we'll do that in the Mickey book. And I've been looking through these so uh, and and I had sort of like was kind of in that purple period of uh, of uh, of Mickey thinking about his life and all this stuff. And then heard the song come on and then just, you know, it was like the Madonna make my video uh, yeah. contest on MTV. <laughs> and then, you know, I want to, uh, you know, paint the mother pink like like John. <laughs> no, I, it just it just ha- and it just literally was a few hours um, and. Um, and it came out and it just came out as very sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a nice thing. So you can't always plan that out, you know? Yeah. I had a concept for another video for his EP and I had a really good concept for it. And, uh, but it would have required me shooting some stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, the timing didn't work out. So my, um, my career as a video director is sadly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, pushed pause for a long time <laughs> yeah well maybe for the next one who yeah. knows yeah. who knows uh, well i mean i feel like we've barely got a chance to scratch the surface with you but i really appreciate you taking the time to to come and talk to us and yeah i mean I, and especially for all the work that you've done with the monkeys and we've we love everything that you guys have been doing so mm-hmm. I, I really do appreciate it and and keep it up yeah well thank you well you know i i feel like you guys do amazing stuff too and and just um keeping the monkeys um, as a talking point and discussing it and keeping it a- alive in a way uh, where it-, it lives and breathes is a, uh, is a wonderful part of it. And I, I can't, I can't do that myself all the time, you know? <laughs> so I really appreciate uh, each time I see there's a new episode up or, or whatever else. And I uh, especially appreciate, you know, what Derek's been doing with the mixography stuff. And I'm constantly coming to him and asking him questions. <laughs> That's what he's uh, been telling us. We're like, Andrew Sandoval is asking you questions? What? <laughs> well, you know, I think for all of us, it's, it's like, we're not, we're not alone. We, there's, right. there's yeah. other people who yeah. love this stuff. And they're they're getting from it something really nice, and that's mm. so that's so it's lovely to be on, and I'd love to come back whenever uh, whenever you're you're ready for uh, 
me. Uh, I'll I'll come up with some other good stories. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. There's, yeah, Andrew, you are a font of ghost stories. You have amazing. It's always something new. I've never heard before. Every time I hear. <laughs> All right. So, um, Andrew, where can people find more about you on the internet? Well, you can certainly find both the Monkeys Day by Day book, which is 740 pages, and Mickey's. I'm told I had a good time. Mickey Dolan's Archives Volume 1 at Beatland Books, like Beatles, but BeatlandBooks.com. And all of the editions of Mickey's book are still available. The deluxe edition is almost sold out. The super deluxe we've got a few of, and then we've got quite a few paperbacks still, if you want that one. And with the Monkey's book, we have a good number of those still. So if you get over there at any time, uh, we would love to hear from you and, and uh you know, I've got a radio show weekly called Come to the Sunshine, and I've got new episodes starting this coming Monday. I've just come back from Japan with uh, about 250 records. So, um, <laughs> nice. awesome. so I'm looking forward to sharing some new music with people, new old music. Yes. New yes. discoveries. <laughs> and um, and that's uh, and that's where, where things are happening. Awesome. How about you, Derek? <laughs> well, first, I'll just say that I was like super envious of watching uh Andrew post about his uh, record journey in uh, in Japan. <laughs> that was amazing, amazing record shopping. I'm sure you found some fantastic 45s. <laughs> I did, I did. It was just, I'm still going through them. Uh, you yeah. know, as you might imagine, I have hundreds yet to listen to. So, um, if you if you like monkeys uh, 45s, go to Japan because they have a lot of them and they're like three dollars a piece. So. <laughs> <laughs> now just to get to Japan. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Derek, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, so so uh, I, I can be found at the uh, Mixing Links group on Facebook, uh, Mixing Links, the monkeys on disc. Uh, and there is the accompanying uh, website, mixinglinksbook.com, where as, we, as you nicely mentioned earlier, there is a booklet that we have available uh, for the headquarters album. Uh, that can be pr- purchased from there. And uh, this will probably be out before February 9th, uh, the anniversary of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Not, not great for people in the long future here, but um, <laughs> if you if you're in the Atlanta area uh, on February 9th, you're not you're not at like the Beatle fast. But if you're in Atlanta, uh, <laughs> we're going to be screening the 1978 film. I want to hold your hand about a group of kids going to the Ed Sullivan show uh, trying to get on. And we have one of the film stars, Eddie Deason, coming out. Uh, this is at the Plaza Atlanta and uh, tickets. It, that's w, PlazaAtlanta.com is the website to get tickets for that. Awesome. How about you, Elaine? can find me on facebook at monkeying around on twitter at monkeying around we also have email monkeying around podcast at gmail.com also elaine and matt watch tv it's where i chronicle what me and my husband are watching on our tv awesome how about us chuck feltnerdy.com and if you're in the atlanta area we'll be appearing on february 24th at the valentine's puck and fuppet show and followed by the following day on february 25th we'll be debuting our new show the felt nerdy and dirty show at the red light cafe so check out felt nerdy or felt nerdy and dirty show on facebook to follow along with that and our star trek podcast earth station trek where we go live on thursday evenings talking about star trek all right thanks for monkeying around Thanks for monkeying around with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. I'm just monkeying around today.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.